Hi, and welcome back to the latest Tap Talks HR podcast. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Aaron O'Connor, an anthropologist from UCL, University College London. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Hi, nice to be here. That's great. So, so Aaron, um, last year you conducted some research with a group of remote working people at UCL to uncover the challenges of working remotely and to seek out some ideas to improve the sustainability of remote working. So just to start with, do you want to give an overview of your study, but also let us know what anthropologists do and ethnographers actually are? Great. Um, so, yeah, quite simply, um, the aim of the project, as you just said, was to understand how the shift to working from home has impacted staff, um, the nature of work and working relationships. So our team, uh, our research team was made up of Martin Holbrad, Alex Flynn, Steph Patton and myself. Um, and as anthropologists, our way of approaching this research was through ethnography, which uh, is probably what makes the research most distinct. Uh, so I should really clarify, as you've just asked, uh, what do I mean by ethnography? So ethnography is actually informally described as deep hanging out. Um, and that's because it involves a researcher spending a prolonged period of time with people uh, to participate in and observe their lives. Um, that's the kind of most simple way of explaining it. Um, and unlike other disciplines, or some other disciplines, I should say, uh, which may rely on questionnaires or surveys, for instance, uh, anthropologists don't typically work with these, and we also don't develop hypotheses. Uh, that's because we, we're extremely aware of how little we can actually know about the place or the people or the problem we're interested in at the outset. Um, and so only by immersing ourselves uh, into our field of research, do we begin to realize uh, which questions are important and, and most interesting? Uh, so to put this into context for you, for this, for this research project, um, I embedded myself into the everyday working lives um, of a team of employees at UCL for three months. Um, of course, all of this was done online uh, since everyone was working from home, but of course that worked perfectly because that was exactly what I was trying to understand, uh, how we work from home, uh, how we work remotely with one another. So over the three months, uh, I shadowed group meetings. Um, I held many unstructured interviews and ran small focus groups. Um, my participants included people of all genders, ages, ethnic backgrounds, and uh, people who lived across all kinds of different living circumstances. And equally importantly, the, the participants um, represented all levels of seniority across this, uh, this team of people. So the aim was to really um, get a sense of what it means to work remotely, um, depending on your kind of personal and professional circumstances. Um, but as we, um, uh, as, as anthropologists, the main thing we're concerned is, with is going deep rather than going broad. And so that's why we had to do this for such a prolonged period of time to really get a sense of the everyday realities of working remotely. 
And Aaron, that's, that's great um, explanation. Thank you, because that's why I think today I'm really excited to be talking to you, because I think there's so much written in short 500 word blogs about how we're coping with remote working in the last year, etc. But actually, I always turn to academia who, who do the deeper studies in this to actually see what's really going on, get beyond the obvious. And it sounds like that three months you were doing sounds like a, a great mine of information uh, kind of thing. So I know, therefore, that most of the podcast today will be looking at the insights and not so much about the three amazing outputs uh, that, that people should go and run away and do straight away kind of thing, because actually it's that insight that is, that is really interesting. So do you want to, to, to carry on and just give us an idea of what these insights look like and, and explain a little bit about it? Yeah, great. Um, so the research and the report we produced, you know, brought up so many fascinating insights. Um, and if you're happy for me to, I'm just going to kind of illustrate some of these by talking you through an ethnographic example, because that is exactly what anthropologists do. We, we show rather than tell. Um, and, and that's very important because I could send, give you a whole list of basic keywords and insights, but I don't think they would really sink in with the listener um, if I didn't paint, paint them a picture of what it really means to work remotely for the, for the people I, I did this project with. So um, what this shift um, to working from home has brought to light for some employees, um, and this is true at all levels of seniority, um, is the importance of seeing others and being seen by others. Um, and to kind of help make sense of what I've just said, I'm going to give you a kind of brief example that describes the experience of several people who had very similar experiences. And I'm going to just group them together here <clears throat> and call them Sarah. Um, so uh, once everyone had moved, shifted to working from home in this team of people I, I did the research with, Sarah um, increasingly began to feel removed uh, from her work. And she had this growing sense that she was losing the kind of backstory to some of the work that she was responsible for. Back in the office before the pandemic, Sarah could literally see when her line manager walked in um, into a meeting with other seniors, for example, um, and closed the door, of course, and therefore she wouldn't have heard the rest. But she saw people meeting, she saw who was in rooms together, and, and that could help her figure out what kind of level the conversation was at. And then of course she could also kind of ask around to get tidbits of information um, about what these conversations may have been about. And this wasn't gossip. Um, this is simply part of the office ecosystem that we're all used to being a part of um, before we had to move to remote work. Um, and her team's lead, Sarah's team lead, would also often stand around people's desks um, have these kind of informal chats, ask questions, share pieces of information about things that are going on at large in the organization, um, and also have back and forth conversations with the line manager who worked, uh, who Sarah worked for. Um, and these conversations likely weren't about anything incredibly important, but it was a form of contact that now in hindsight was actually very important to Sarah and, and the rest of her team. Um, since March, since the move to working remotely, Sarah knows that her line manager, for example, has weekly video meetings with their team lead. 
um, but she has absolutely no idea what's being discussed. And these meetings are often actually more frequent than they used to be before the pandemic. Um, because there's just this incredible, with, with working remotely, people are having to formalize and schedule their meetings much more than ever before, because that's the only way in which they have any contact with one another. Um, and so not only does Sarah know that her, her line manager meets with their team lead more often than before, she doesn't know what's being said. Um, and the only pieces of, of information that, uh, that her line manager feeds down directly to Sarah and her colleagues are those pieces that are considered need to know. Um, so even for members of staff like Sarah, who were never part of um, these kind of high level meetings or decisions, she suddenly feels more cut off um, from the work that she's responsible for. Um, when changes in her workplace or work processes were decided um, in the past before the pandemic, she often overheard discussions about these uh, before they were made. And perhaps she would even have the opportunity to, um, to share her thoughts on these changes with her line manager. Now, though, uh, she often only hears about changes as and when she's asked to implement them. Um, once it's basically too late for her to have any input at all on these changes. And so this sharing of information on a kind of need-to-know basis is something that came up time and again across lots of different contexts in the workplace. Um, so there's a lot to unpack in that example, um, and it is one that I've heard time and again um, with lots of different people. And I just want to point out two two core things that really stand out in this example, and they are two of the kind of insights that we developed um, in our report. So the ability, the ability to feel connected in the workplace requires people to see and be seen by others, which is what I opened with at the beginning of this. So people's ability to see and be seen while working remotely has become more hierarchy dependent than ever before. And let me explain what I mean by this. So as you can see in this example with Sarah, more junior people like her have become more visible to their seniors because their outputs and targets are being closely followed and measured. But junior staff like Sarah um, see less of other junior staff like themselves, see less of their friends and colleagues, unless they have to interact directly with one another on a specific piece of work. On the other hand, more senior staff have become less visible to the teams they manage um, as their work and decisions only trickle down on that kind of need to know basis. At the same time, seniors often see more of one another um, than before the pandemic because they are having more of these regular scheduled meetings online. So what we see is kind of a very hierarchy dependent way in which people are able to connect with one another. Seniors have, um, senior staff have become better connected with one another, which is of course fantastic, but junior staff do sometimes feel more cut off from one another and feel that they're only seen by their seniors in a particular, through a particular lens. So that's kind of one of the first um, insights, um, which is basically paying attention to the over-solidification of hierarchies and the consequences of this. Um, the second one is really um, the fact that our interactions in the workplace have become a lot more task-oriented. 
Um, and so the foundations of people's relationships have really thinned out. Um, whereas, you know, before people's interactions and their knowledge about the goings on in the office went far beyond their immediate job description. Um, today, when we're working remotely, um, these, th this kind of knowledge of one another and the work that we all do has become mostly just based on interactions that with people that we really have to have an interaction with. We all know how difficult it is to uh, send an email uh, for the hundredth time in, in, in a day to the same person over and over again if it's not absolutely essential to book one more call with someone because it's all very tiring and taxing. You know, whereas before we would share random stories about ourselves, both personal and professional, um, with all kinds of people in the hallway, at lunch, in the lift, across desks. Um, today, we're just, it, it feels too forced and, and intrusive, basically, to share that much, that much between colleagues. And, you know, what that's, what's really clear from our research is that these aren't just desirable forms of, of, um, of interaction that have been lost these are actually pretty essential forms of interaction that have become much harder to generate kind of naturally. Um, during the research, I heard so many um, accounts of how response times, uh, problem solving techniques and innovation were directly dependent on the bridges that people had built between one another um, on the levels of trust and openness and familiarity between colleagues. Um, so that kind of example that I gave you about Sarah really just begins to open up all these kinds of areas of concern, but also insights into what is it that makes organizations work well, makes them able to respond to new and changing situations like this pandemic. And, and that's fantastic. And it's such a rich picture that you paint of I know Sarah who's a accumulation of lots of different personalities into that one embodiment but I think that I can totally see now why anthropologists do what they do because actually when I I could I just sitting there thinking oh there's something there around uh, task it's all about task there's something there around actually I don't get seen as much I don't talk as casually as much to other people and you can imagine that being in a bullet point in a blog but actually the way you've described it shows that actually if you just saw those bullet points and then you were having to put some kind of strategy together to help people in the organization, you might not do anything near the, the accuracy of what these people actually need to help them because actually you don't see that rich picture that sits yeah. behind them. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, you know, to follow up on that, I think that, um, as you said, you know, these are... Uh, these are not just kind of nice to know um, kind of insights. I think that what's really important is that all of these concerns really do over time potentially impact um, the efficiency of organizations. And, you know, um, this kind of relationship that Sarah feels has changed with her line manager, with her other colleagues, um, and with the organization itself, because she feels much more kind of distant and, and less kind of cocooned in something that she feels an intricate part of, that has changed and that ecosystem has changed. And this, this does just 
over time begin to change the way in which organizations function on an everyday level. So it's not just the extra nice chat in the kitchen that's been lost. It's really something far more kind of fundamental about how organizations uh, can and do function. Yeah, I'm just thinking about um, self-determination theory that has a bit about relatedness in it, um, social learning theory, which is actually we imitate others to actually learn by see what we see and hear around us. There's, there's so much there, isn't there, around human behavior that actually is that subtlety of, of, of what we do, that human contact that, that it was so swiftly removed. It's almost like we didn't have a chance to phase something else. Yeah. into our lives and, and do you see that as like um the main issue this this lack of human like uh, spontaneous humanness isn't it kind of i don't know what the best words for it yeah i mean this kind of organic way of of just sharing space you know and what i mean by sharing space is well physical space but also the feeling of sharing in a project of sharing a purpose um, of sharing an identity as a member of a team or an organization. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really important to people. Um, you know, people aren't just working in order to, uh, you know, gain status, professional status, or to simply make money. Um, if we were all simply making money, we, we may not be in the exact profession we're in. There's a lot of, there's a lot of calculations that people make about, you know, which job they end up getting, if they have the choice, of course, to, to be selective about where they work. But um, that's really important. So these kinds of um, human experiences in the workplace are, you know, are kind of paramount to understanding how organizations are going to continue working remotely. It's, it's fascinating stuff. And then I'm thinking that like some people might just choose a, a role because it's in an open and office environment. And actually that, that social aspect is the driver why they ended up in that career, that point in their career they have. And it's got nothing to do with what you tap on the keyboard, mm -hmm. et cetera, is actually that social aspect. So it's almost like for some people, you've, you've taken apart about 90% of, of their motivators to get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, this is intriguing for me, and, and I don't know really where to go next in the conversation, so I'm going to give you a choice. So do you want to give any more insights uh, from your study? Because I know your study is so deep that we haven't got the time to go through all of it today. Or do you want to, uh, to talk about some conclusions you've drawn from the study? Mm -hmm. is, is, where, where, do you th where would you like to go with this? Because it's fascinating. Um, I think that if I go towards the conclusions, just mm -hmm. some of the it'll help connect the dots more easily. And it'll also probably bring to light a few more of the insights anyway, along the way. Okay. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot to say, as you said, there's just so much that I could, you know, talk you through, but essentially we concluded that as the novelty of work from home, you know, begins to wear off for, for all of us, um, we're basically a year into the pandemic. Um, we need to take, a more critical view of the implications of working from home. Um, what I mean by this is um, that we're all well-versed in the benefits of working from home because there are, there are many, of course, uh, but we need to pay attention to the ways in which working from home has really changed um, the nature of our work and the nature of working relationships. Um, Another really important thing that came out of the research, um, which will not be surprising to almost anyone who's 
experienced working from home now is burnout. Burnout has become a very serious issue that I came across repeatedly. And it's compounded by this, um, by this lack of contact that many colleagues have with one another, as I described earlier with, with Sarah and the general kind of um, findings, we, our findings in the research. Uh, so what we concluded is that we need to make work from home more sustainable moving forward. And the main way in which we believe that can happen is to reimagine what productivity looks like. Because a big concern early on in the pandemic was around how to ensure staff are working productively from home, which has led to a lot of dependence on targets and measurables, um, which again, you know, further contributes to this kind of task-oriented way of working. Um, but focusing on measurables can leave blind spots. Um, as I just mentioned, uh, you know, I heard many examples of how people managed crises and problems at work, both before and, and since the pandemic, um, and how they innovated basically um, through the kind, how they, sorry, they basically innovated, their, their stories about innovation and problem solving were really um, at the core of these were their relationships with the people who they innovated and solved problems with. What I mean essentially is that um, relationships are the kind of the bridges that have been built between colleagues are really what will help see organizations through these incredibly complex uh, transformations that they're having to, to, to create constantly, physically and, and uh, digitally, of course. And so um, this is why we suggested something uh, that's less focused on simply productivity, but more on productivity plus, as, we, as we've kind of called it. What I mean by productivity plus is this realization that um, relationships, connectivity between people is what drives productivity. Um, and so that's sort of the main fundamental conclusion and suggestion that we put forward at the end of this research. Okay, and that's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, and, I, and I love that because there has been this easy slip into the world of task, hasn't there? So, so uh, I love the fact that relationships, connectivity, productivity plus, that, that just, it, it, it totally puts it on its head kind of thing. And to, I have conversations around productivity and that's why I'm stuttering as I say this because actually, because quite often we're looking at the, what, what KPIs are we looking for? We're always looking at lag indicators and actually, uh, to, to, just like if you're, if you're, um, trying to diet, if you just look at weighing yourself at the end of the week. Then, then actually you're looking at a lag indicate, indicator. If you look at the number of calories you, you, you put in your mouth every day, that's a lead indicator. So if you look at the lead indicators, you're going to get better lag indicators. So just like looking at the task productivity, it's almost like we're missing the point. The point is if we have a motivated workforce who, who get up in the morning and want to feel committed to doing their job, then actually you're going to get productivity. And therefore, it's about concentrating on those inputs, those relationships, the connectivity of people to create that work commitment, I suppose, mm -hmm. is, is what we're saying here. Yeah, I mean, um, exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not so easy maybe to see it right now because this experience of working from home is still 
you know, fairly new for all of us. It's, it, it's only just going to be a year since, since we did that in March. But, uh, you know, what, how, do, how do you innovate and how do you um, solve problems that you don't, basically that you don't really see yet, that haven't come about yet? Innovation is not about solving an issue that you're facing right now. It's about trying to look ahead and go beyond the everyday realities of, of, your, of your organizational responsibilities. But how can you innovate when you don't have that kind of um, broader vision of what's going on around you? If you are so tasks oriented and only speaking to people who you have to speak to about X, Y, and Z, then you're missing that kind of deeper hidden knowledge as we call in the report of basically knowing knowing your organization beyond the immediate tasks that you're responsible for without having that kind of deep embedded knowledge of the way you work um, and the way the people around you work you may not be able to to innovate as much as you had done before the pandemic when you were just more interconnected when you could visibly see and overhear um, all the other stuff that technically has nothing to do with you that you're not responsible for. But somehow if it trickles in, in that kind of normal social way in which we all absorb knowledge around us, uh, that is what can help generate um, change in organizations that is, is vital. Yeah, and, and I think uh, we, we've pre-pandemic, if we can ever remember that, um, we, we were talking about high-performing teams having the most diverse uh, kind of uh, people inside of them to get the best innovation you can. And I think if you're just looking at task orientation already, you're narrowing the field, aren't you, into within your own subdivision of an, of an organisation kind of thing. So quite often you, you have groupthink mm. as, as you do these kind of things. That's super interesting. And so what would you suggest organisations consider for work in the workplace based on this study that you've done? Because obviously there is so much there and we've only got time to tickle the surface kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. but, but what, what do you think there is there, there for organisations to think about? Well, I, I, I do think that we have to pay attention to uh, the ways in which work from home um, has changed sort of the nature of work, but to understand the way work itself has changed. As I said before, we do have to understand the working relationships that basically create that work. And so sort of the three things that in our study with this specific group of people we, we did the research with, um, it was clear that working from home um, is generating a more intense form of, of um, outputs driven work. And we need to really, I really believe we need to pay attention to the consequences of that. What is it that is, is being missed? What are the immeasurable forms of performance and value um, that, that cannot be, that need a lot more support when we're working from home? Um, also, people have uh, learnt, un perhaps unexpectedly in some circumstances, to work more independently than they used to, even on work that was usually considered to be collaborative work. And for some people that has had fantastic, um, that has led to fantastic things like having a lot more time to themselves, a lot more quiet time. Um, but it's very important to pay attention to moments, types of work, which could technically be done solo, but really would benefit enormously far more from 
from collaborative work. And we need to look at those and how to kind of safeguard those. Um, and maybe, you know, um, the final one is, is sort of how information is shared um, and what information is no longer being shared between colleagues because it's become this very need to know way of communicating and, and spending time with one another. And what is it we're losing when we're not sharing as much kind of anecdotes, information, stories, yeah. And I think that's, that's really interesting because I think, again, talking about innovation, I think the way we've, in the Western world anyway, that we've um, looked at our workforce, we've tried to look at more inclusion, more belonging, and we, that's so being concentrated on the, the physical workplace. If I, well, some of the places I've wandered around London into shared office spaces that look so cool and funky now, you wonder what they do to your posture when you sit there and have to work. But they're, they're so bringing your home life into work and all of a sudden we've exploded that and everyone's now working remotely. Obviously, we're, we're hoping that um, vaccines and, and, and infection rates will, will sort themselves out kind of thing. But I do think that there's this kind of dispersed uh, working environment now that's probably here for the medium term because mm -hmm. there will be those anxieties about jumping on the pact tube train to go back into the center of London. I don't think anybody wants to think about that anymore. But, um, but I, I think that working independently and working uh, and, and then working collaboratively, I think it's an interesting one. And I do remember from your report, there was spaces of concentration and spaces of interaction. And I loved that. And do you want to just, it, it just explain what, what, what you mean by concentration and interaction? Yeah. I mean, um, this is something that I think a lot of people have begun to, to talk about um, in the last few months. And it's really, you know, I think uh, it's, it's no secret that sharing an office, just like sharing, you know, a living room table now or a kitchen table or a shared office space at home um, is not always uh, very, very productive. Uh, we do need some space and time to ourselves sometimes for certain tasks. Uh, for, for so many roles that we have. Um, uh, and so that's very important. Uh, we need to find, we need to identify the importance of, of having quiet time, even if we go back to the office at some point, um, which is a challenge because people have, we, we all, whether we're at home or even in the office have certain physical parameters that we have to work within. Um, but absolutely the working collaboratively, working together, in a shared space, uh, whether it's on a call together uh, when we're working remote or in a physical, physically shared space is really vital for so many other types of work. And so it's really realizing that both are really important. We can't, we can't live without uh, one of them, not easily at least. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a great place to, to kind of finish on because there is going to be this kind of halfway house between where we are now. And for those of you listening in years in the future, this is the first pandemic and before the apocalypse came that we're talking about now. But um, no, joking, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, it's it's there will be this place where actually remote working will become slightly easier, won't it? Because we we won't have lockdowns, but we might remote work one or two days a week. And then we we might go into a shared office space uh, one or two days a week. And, and then actually it's almost like prioritizing what work you do there to get the most out of 
yourself kind of thing so it's interesting i think what we're doing now and the work and the research you've done now is actually i think will help us in many years to come mm. so thank you yeah i mean the only thing i would say to follow up on that um is just you know i think beyond the tangible insights that came out of this research you know what came what is even more important for me is uh is the realization that we need to learn um how to ask the right questions and identify what to pay attention to in this in this pandemic and and its aftermath later on um it's a constantly evolving situation and so uh, I think methodologies like ethnography and other forms of qualitative research are really important to invest in because they are they are going to help us um, look ahead and look at the human cost of any kind of decision we we make moving forward. Yeah, and and my last question, but I've got a feeling you've just said it in my last question. <laughs> but actually, if there was one thing you wanted people to take away, what would it be? And it's my standard question I always ask everyone mm. at the end. But is that the point? Is that the thing? Is actually asking the right questions and and thinking like an ethnographer does, rather than jumping straight to decision, is actually the the best way forward. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'll go back to what I said at the opening. Um, we, as anthropologists, generally don't work with hypotheses. And this is exactly why, you know, we came into this research having firsthand experience of our own of working from home. Um, and, you know, we, of course, we came in with ideas and a sense of what we were going to to come across and find in our conversations with people. But, um we, we didn't want to pigeonhole people before we'd even interacted with them. And so it's, it's just very important to uh, take that time to let that kind of uh, inquisitive process unfold um, and to really listen to people um, and, and not ask pointed kind of directing questions. Uh, and so that kind of qualitative research unfortunately does take time um, it just can't be done in a kind of quick one week or, you know, uh, one-off survey. Um, and and I don't know if there's, I don't, I don't think there's a workaround um, that I do think we have to invest in, in qualitative research. Well, Dr. Erin O'Connor, that was an amazing summary. Thank you very much. And, and I do know this, I've seen your report. There's so much in that report. I wish we had like about a month to go through it because it's so rich. But thank you ever so much for your time today. Thank I you. really do appreciate you coming on to the podcast. My pleasure. Lovely to be here. And uh, well, thanks uh, for everyone for listening. I hope you're enjoying the tap. HR podcasts. If you have any ideas for future podcasts or are interested in more information about this or other topics, then please visit our website at tapsolutions.com. But that's it for now. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye.